This is America on the Road on the SportsMap Radio Network. Here's Jack Nerak. This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for radio and now in its 26th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Dealers are being forced to get creative about finding used cars to sell, and their new techniques might be a great opportunity for you. We'll have the details. And some interesting new vehicles have just been unveiled at the Chicago Auto Show. We'll have much more about that coming up. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris lives at one end of the country, a frigid, horribly cold uh, ice storm uh, end of the country. I live at the other, where it doesn't even rain anymore. Uh, We get together each week to talk about something we're both passionate about, that's cars. And Chris, what's going on where you live this week? Well, jealousy of where you are, I think, is the main thing that's going on here this week. Uh, We got some ice over the weekend and then some rain on top of it. So uh, everything is a little slick right now. I think uh, my rear found the ground this morning when I went out to start the car for the kids uh, to run them to school. So uh, February in Maine, pretty typical February for us. But uh, again, I'm very jealous of your weather. Yeah, I'll tell you, people coming out for Super Bowl will find uh, warm weather and and think it's always this way, and maybe it is, but I think it's going to be in the 80s, which is way crazy uh, warm for Los Angeles uh, in mid-February. Getting back to our show, our special guest this week will be Russell Wager. He is head of marketing for Kia in America. Really interesting guy. Kia has an exciting year ahead of it with the introduction of the EV6 electric vehicle, maybe some more electrical vehicles before it's over. We had a chance to catch up with him recently, bring that interview to you. And in the road test segment, Chris, what were you driving? I spent the icy week with the 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander. I think that might be the top of Mitsubishi's lineup, so we'll uh, see how that fared in the the frigid climbs that you had to deal with this week. I got the chance to drive the heavily revised 2022 Hyundai Kona. Not completely new, but I'd say seriously uh, changed. So we'll tell you all about those changes. Before we do that, though, we'll be bringing you some of the most important car-oriented news from around the world. So stay with us for that. Car dealers has a quest for used cars. That's next, right here on America on the Road. This is America on the Road on the SportsMap Radio Network. Here's Jack Nerad. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. Jack Nerad with you, and it is news time on America on the Road. And I think we have a fascinating story for you as the lead story this uh, this week. Uh, dealers are getting creative in finding used cars to sell because they pretty much have to. And I. I don't know if most people grasp the fact that the used car business, even for new car dealers, is a big, big deal. And so when they don't have uh, trade-ins, when people are not trading in their cars because they've already sold their vehicle, which is happening a lot now, they've got to scratch their head and uh, maybe (laughs) do more kind of scratching to get uh, vehicles to sell. So they're doing some interesting things. Uh, You're probably experiencing that, Chris. Have you thought about selling a car uh, recently just because of the the way the market is going? Well, you know, it's funny. I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, probably over a month ago now, that I bought a Porsche Cayenne. And 
Uh, it's been sitting in the shop waiting on a part uh, that's, you know, held back by the supply chain issues. But I did look into selling it. And, you know, it's amazing how how much money I could get for it, even with the mileage and the condition. And, you know, I bought probably the cheapest one I could find. But, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting time. And I could see how dealers are struggling, although I'm I'm interested to hear what they're doing to get more inventory. Well, one of the things they're doing, and this was reported in, in wards recently, is they're coming up with a system that kind of resembles an auction, an online auction. They call them live appraisals. And digitally, they look for bidders. So typical pr- prospective sellers will connect with a, an individual dealer and their vehicles will be appraised in what is essentially an auction-like format at the dealership. And then the bidding audience has uh, vehicle purchasers who can be in the store or online via the digital platform to get the bidding going and bid on these vehicles. They might be other dealers or they might be individuals. And they will indicate how much they'd be willing to pay. And when the bidding is complete, the, the host dealer has the right of first refusal. I think that's kind of interesting to buy the vehicle probably at the bid, and if if the uh, dealer doesn't buy it, then the highest bidder, of course, can buy it. So interesting, a little bit complicated, but it, it could be a good opportunity if you're uh, looking to sell a car you have. Of course, you might have to buy a car at the other end of that, but at least on the selling portion, uh, you stand to use this kind of auction to, to make some money. Kind of interesting. What's your take on it, Chris? Yeah, we've talked about this at length. It's a great time to sell a car if you have one that you don't need. But if you have any inkling of a thought that you might need that car down the road, at least in the near future, it's probably a good idea to hold on to it. Because when you go to buy another one, you're going to be paying that premium on the other side. So you really you might not even break even there. But, you know, to your point, this is a very complicated way to get more inventory. But I guess it's one of their their sort of last ditch efforts. I've heard of dealers around here and in other places in New England uh, you know, leaving notes on people's cars and parking lots if they see see things. So uh, it's a very, and we keep using the word interesting, but it is a very uh, odd time to be studying this industry. Yeah, we've kind of, I, I've never remember a situation like this. I've been covering this industry for uh, well, the better part of four decades now. And I never recall a situation like this where uh, there is such shortage of vehicle inventory on both the new and used car side. At the same time, I don't want to overemphasize this. There's still stinkers out there, you know, bad used cars that are not going to get bought or not going to get you a lot of money if you if you have, a, you know, a lawn car <laughs> sitting on concrete blocks in the front yard. I don't think it's probably going to cash in for much. But uh, it's uh, interesting when new car dealers can't get new cars to sell, uh, they have even more impetus to uh, get used cars and sell those. So very interesting time in the in the car business. Another thing that's interesting in the car business is the fact that a, a major auto show is taking place. The Chicago Auto Show is going on right now at McCormick Place in Chicago, a little bit south of the Loop. And uh, among the vehicles being shown there is the all-new 2023 Toyota Sequoia. You've got to be excited about that, Chris, a new Sequoia after something like 12, 13 years or something like that of the same old Sequoia, I mean, is your heart beating a little faster just thinking about it? You know, my heart beats faster thinking about new three-row SUVs. Yeah, it it kind of does. I'm actually excited to drive this. The, The twin turbo V6 that they're using in this thing and the updated interior, I mean, it looks sharp, looks solid. And you know, and our listeners know who have heard me talk about this at length, uh, I'm a Toyota fanboy, so 
I'm all about it, and I can't wait to drive it. As I'm all equally excited to drive the new the new Tundra. So, uh, just as a side note, but yeah, I can't wait for that. Yeah, well, it will be uh, fascinating. 437 horsepower from that twin turbo V6. Uh, the V8 is no more, and uh, it is a three row vehicle, as Chris mentioned, a body on frame vehicle based on the Tundra, of course. Uh, I found this interesting. Um, it has both an independent and multi-link rear suspension, independent front suspension and multi-link rear suspension. Uh, that's becoming just standard practice uh, for these big uh, full-size SUVs where it wasn't uh, as recently as just a few years ago. They're also uh, adding big, major towing capacity to the Sequoia, 9,000-pound 9, maximum towing. That's a 22% increase over the prior generation that dates back, I think, to the Lincoln administration or something like that. Uh, and uh, then there will be a uh, a top-level version, the uh, Capstone. The Tundra Capstone also is the top-level version of, uh, well, the Tundra Capstone is the top-level version of the pickup truck. There will be a Capstone version of the Sequoia as well. But uh, I think they're they're realizing at Toyota that people are willing to pay for luxury stuff and What's your take on uh, these super luxury SUVs, Chris? Well, Toyota has to kind of has to make that move because Chevy or G- General Motors and Ford uh, have been doing the, the luxury three-row full-size SUV for quite a long time now. And to your point about the multi-link rear suspension and or I'm sorry, multi-link suspension and independent suspension, uh, they're doing what they can to make these vehicles livable as livable on a daily basis as possible. So those give those suspension components give them a more car-like ride. And you know, tidy things up in the corners. So uh, these vehicles, as big as they are, are surprisingly agile and and handling well, and they're very comfortable. So uh, these really are the sort of family tanks. And Toyota's, you know, the Sequoia has been around, as you mentioned, since the Lincoln the Lincoln administration. So to get a, an updated version with a, a high end capstone model, uh, I view it as Toyota playing catch up and having to do it. But I'm more than welcoming of it because, uh, you know, I think the capabilities there, and as I mentioned, the styling and the and the uh, the technology is there too. Yeah, I think the pickup truck buyer gets the benefit of uh, probably an interior that was uh, destined for the Sequoia, and then they realize, well, why don't we just do that same interior, that really high lux, semi-aniline uh, leather trim seats and that kind of stuff, panoramic sunroof. Let's do that in the pickup truck as well. Fits right in, so a good way to do it. Other stuff shown at the Chicago Auto Show, uh, Nissan is showing some pickup truck concepts based on the Frontier that they recently introduced. There are three of them, the Project 72X, the Project Hardbody, and the Project Adventure. And, of course, they're all based on the Frontier. Let me give you some details on this. The uh, Project 72X Frontier is uh, based on the Frontier Crew Cab S 4x4. And uh, it it has some uh, retro um, retro influences in it. It is based on the Datsun 720 pickup truck that was introduced in the fall of 1979. Were you introduced in the fall of 1979, Chris? How, you probably date back. <laughs> oh, we're talking about my height and my age now. Yeah, so no, I was born in April 1983. Okay, so you weren't around in the fall of 1979, but uh, your host was, and uh, remember these small pickup trucks uh, very fondly. Uh, there is also the Project Hardbody, named after the famous Nissan Hardbody truck, and the Product Adventure, which is uh, picking up on the overlanding trend. So these vehicles from Nissan, very exciting. Uh, I'd love to see some of these kind of come to pass as opposed to being just pickup, uh, just uh, project trucks. 
Uh, but it's always cool to see what people do with that blank canvas of a new vehicle, don't you think, Chris? I agree. And the new the new uh, Frontier pickup truck is a great improvement over the old one. You know, the styling is great. It rides really well. So I think anything they can do to drive more buyers, so that's a good thing for them and for the buyers, right? Because it's a great pickup truck. But you mentioned things that were around when I was born. The hard body was around in my childhood, and I did love it. So that was one of my early automotive aspirations that never came to pass. Well, there's still time. I mean, you might uh, ditch the Porsche for a Nissan hard body, a classic hard body, and uh, maybe make some money in the in the trade-off. <laughs> but I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just uh, just the host of the show. So uh, when we come back, we will be road testing a couple of cool vehicles. Uh, the Mitsubishi Outlander was in the uh, fleet at the Teague household. And I was driving the Hyundai Kona. So stay with us for that. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. This is America on the Road on the SportsMap Radio Network. Here's Jack Neerad. Fubo Sportsbook, after its successful launch in... Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. Jack Neerad back with you for road test time. And my oh my, do we have some swell vehicles for you this time around. Chris, you were driving what I think is the uh, flagship of the Mitsubishi lineup these days. Uh, Tell us all about it. Yeah, I spent the week with the uh, 2022 Mitsubishi Outlander. It's all new for the 2022 model year. And uh, now, as as you may know, Jack, and many people may know, that Mitsubishi is in an alliance, as they call it, with Nissan and Renault. So uh, they have the ability to share uh, designs and engineering with each other. Uh, And that's just what they did here. So it rides on the Nissan Rogue's platform, and it also gets the same powertrain as the Nissan Rogue, which is a 2.5-liter four-cylinder engine making 181 horsepower and 181 pound-feet of torque. Uh, Power reaches all four wheels in my test model, uh, although the front-wheel drive is standard. So power reaches all four wheels through a continuously variable transmission. Uh, And I should back up for a minute and say that I was testing the SEL trim, which is the sort of mid to upper range uh, trim of the model line. The ES trim starts around 27 grand. My SEL with some options came at around 38 Uh, which does get pretty pricey for a Mitsubishi, but I think that once we're done with this, you'll see that I think that it's worth it. So Nissan does a good CVT, and it's just as good here in the Mitsubishi. It doesn't let the engine wail very much. It's very smooth. It does well at highway speeds. I will say that acceleration is a little sluggish, but you probably don't care that much about it in a vehicle like this because it's comfortable and smooth and refined. And Jack, you and I were talking about this off the air, and I don't know if you've had a chance to drive the new Outlander. Uh, If you have, uh, would you want to compare it to the Rogue a little bit or just give your idea of what you think the powertrain is like overall? Well, I would compare it to the Rogue, and I think the the Rogue, in some ways, it strikes me as being somewhat sportier than the Outlander. I think the Outlander feels more substantial to me, and maybe that's just the placebo effect or just... uh, figuring out what the brand is or what how the vehicle fits in the particular model lineup rather than what's being delivered by the vehicle. But that, that's my sense of it, that the uh, Outlander is a, a bit more, uh, I guess, mature is a way to say it. I would agree with that. The interior styling here was really striking. I opened the door for the first time and I had to double check the badge on the on the grill up front. I mean, it is it's seriously nice inside. The SEL trim that I have uh, has optional quilted leather interior. It's got heated and cooled, I'm sorry, heated only front seats a heated steering wheel, leather-wrapped wheel, uh, nice leather interior. Uh, plenty of room in the back seat for the kids. And, you know, I said this during the Rogue review. It's riding on the same platform, which provides great legroom in back and up front, 
This vehicle has an optional panoramic sunroof, which doesn't kill headroom as much as it does in other models. Uh, but the package that brings the sunroof also brings a digital gauge cluster, a head-up display, and a Bose audio system, which really just bumps the premium factor up even further. Uh, digital gauge cluster here, as I mentioned, is configurable, so you can see different information on uh, the wheels that are receiving power, fuel economy, and other uh, information as well as audio controls. And then the eight inch touchscreen runs Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Uh, it's also not the most intuitive system, but I will say that if you're using one of those smartphone interfaces, as we've talked about a bunch of times, Jack, that makes it very familiar to you. It runs just like it does on your phone. So uh, we don't need, I guess we should probably stop talking about uh, the native interfaces going forward, I guess, because a lot of people are, are using their smartphones uh, instead of that. What do you think about uh, the standard sort of interface versus uh, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, Jack? Well, I had the same notion, uh, I think, this week as I was driving the uh, test vehicle that I had in my driveway this week and, and going, wow, this is a, a lot more difficult to uh, navigate through than uh, the phone I have in my pocket. Why why am I being forced to do this? And and frankly, the voice control didn't help that much either. So um, I agree with you. I think uh, maybe we're, we're getting past the, the the point where these these native systems are all that important. Yep, I agree with that. And uh, you know, since this is one of the top trims or upper top trims of the uh, of the Outlander, it's got uh, all the safety features that you would expect or want in a top trim vehicle: blind spot monitoring, rear cross traffic alerts, uh, 360 degree camera. One thing that I did notice, and it's kind of weird that I, you know, this is one way that safety alerts happen. You know, every brand has their own specific sort of chime or audio signature when there's a warning going off. In the Mitsubishi, it's like a little honk, like you can almost, but you barely hear it. It's so almost, uh, it's very hard to hear. And especially now we have these ice piles and snow piles everywhere backing up. Uh, so it'd be nice to get a little bit more of an audible uh, warning there. But overall, I think this is a great effort from Mitsubishi, you know, sharing a platform and an engine with Nissan. Some people could knock them for not being original or whatever, but I think that having that base, that solid platform and solid basis to build this vehicle on gave Mitsubishi a great launching point, and they've taken it and run with it. As you say, it's a more grown-up vehicle than the Rogue. Uh, I think the styling, if you can get around the styling, is a little funky, but uh, everything else works well, and, and I don't have very many complaints about the vehicle. I liked it, too, when I drove it, uh, I think, at the launch, and uh, I'd love to drive it again at, at greater length, and uh, I probably endorse your opinion. I think you're spot on there. Uh, I was driving the 2022 Hyundai Kona, and in some ways, I guess the Kona is the sister vehicle of the ever-popular Kia Soul. There's a, a lot of mechanical similarities between the two. I don't think it, it has the road presence that the Soul has had through its 10, 11 years in the marketplace. But there's certainly a lot to like about the Hyundai Kona, and it has been significantly revised for 2022. It's not a full-on makeover, uh, but a lot of changes. I think significant changes that uh, are larger than you would typically see in a mid-cycle refresh, as they say in the industry. They're freshening it up so it looks new, uh, and they've done so. It has a different front-end styling. It has an enhanced infotainment system, uh, much, much better, much better driver info information display as well, and additional connectivity features. There's a new ADAS feature, an automated driving assistance feature. And so uh, a lot of changes you know, chronicling them. It's a small crossover. Like I say, it's the same size as the Kia Soul, uh, which is very short. I think it's 160 inches long or something like that. Not not very big. It's under $30,000. You can get, the, I think, the base price is well under $25,000. It, 
it's hard to imagine in some ways saying that a, uh, a small uh, crossover SUV like this for $25,000 is a heck of a bargain, but I guess that's what we're facing these days. Uh, certainly the prices of small SUVs have uh, rocketed up recently. Uh, you probably experienced that too, haven't you, Chris? Yeah, I think value is one of the things that we, as everyone, should be talking more about these days as car prices increase. Uh, these gems, especially from Hyundai and Kia, they seem to be very good at doing that. Uh, these gems in the low to mid-20 range that offer you know, basically everything that the forty dollars to $50,000 vehicles do uh, at a more approachable price point, should be they should be heralded <laughs> from the rooftops. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was not driving a vehicle that was under $25,000. In fact, uh, in terms of MSRP, the Kona Limited that I drove with the turbocharged four-cylinder engine and all-wheel drive, and a couple of options, but it, you didn't really need many options because the Limited is, is uh, pretty loaded, was $31,000. That includes the destination charge. I guess without the destination charge, it would be uh, right at $30,000. That strikes me as a lot for a small SUV, but I guess that's the that's the environment in which we live. Uh, it's got a very good-looking new face to it, a bold front grille, uh, much bolder than before. I think what they were trying for in the basic Kona is to look more like an off-road type a sport utility. The front and rear fascias have quote unquote skid plates. They're not really skid plates, but they kind of look like skid plates. And the front fascia connects with the side cladding, which is a contrasting color to the uh, body color. So it, it does look off-roady. Uh, I don't know that it will ever go off-road, but it has that uh, to, uh, to it. So good styling changes, I think, makes it look more substantial. Inside, it gets the 10.25-inch digital instrument panel and a uh, similar 10.25-inch, I guess it's 10 and a quarter inches, an easier way to say that, uh, navigation and infotainment display. We certainly like the digital instruments, and uh, it it looks very luxurious, uh, which is kind of nice, luxurious in this car that is not all that expensive to have that big digital instrument panel. Uh, That's a bigger digital instrument panel than you'd get in many luxury vehicles (laughs) that cost a lot more. The weird anomaly that we've talked about on the show is alive and well in the Kona, however, and that is you can't get wireless Apple CarPlay and wireless Android Auto with this 10 and a quarter inch uh, display, but you can get it with the lower line models that have the eight inch display. (laughs) That's a head-scratcher, but uh, we've encountered that before, haven't we, Chris? Yeah, they explain it as a space problem for the module in the back of it, but I'm not an engineer, nor do I know too much about that, so I'm going to leave it right there. Well, on the good side, and I, you know, I really can do with uh, without wireless uh, Apple CarPlay in this vehicle. It does have the Harman Kardon premium audio with eight speakers and external amplifiers, so the sound is super, super good. They've done a lot of interesting things with the Blue Link uh, connectivity system, including cloud storage for your vehicle settings. So if something blows up, uh, you can uh, reload that stuff. Uh, I would say overall, as we're summing up here, uh, this vehicle has got substantial changes. If you're looking at a 21 versus a 22, by all means, get the 2022. It's a much better vehicle with more stuff. So uh, there are very good reasons to consider the Kona overall. Uh, I would take a look at the uh, Kia Soul at the same time and see which one you like. But uh, very, very good stuff, I think, uh, 
I think they've done a nice job with this. And it's still an affordable vehicle, although affordable vehicles now, I guess, are anything less than 30000 bucks. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And I think that, that it's also quite fun to drive for what it is. So uh, just tack that on as my endorsement as well. There is an N-Line vehicle that has sportier looks and uh, much different looks, but we'll review that on a different show. And when we come back, we'll have a special guest for you. His name is Russell Wager. He is head of marketing for Kia in America. So he will tell us uh, what's going on at Kia. A bunch of different stuff going on, certainly with the launch of their electric vehicle, the EV6. So we'll have that interview for you when we come back. Stay with us with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red, and we're so glad you're with us right here on America on the Road. This is America on the Road on the SportsMap Radio Network. Here's Jack Nerad. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Nerad with you. We're at the Los Angeles Auto Show on the Kia stand. You're hearing hubbub because a lot has gone on at the uh, Kia stand. And with us is a, a terrific guest. Russell Wager is with us. He is the head of marketing for Kia in North America. Thanks so much for being with us. And tell us a bit about the exciting stuff you showed us today. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, we showed three different things today. I mean, we have a lot to talk about. We started by showing the hybrid version of our new Sportage that will be coming out in Q1 of 2022. So that was the first thing we showed. The second thing we showed was our EV6 world record setting, Guinness world record setting vehicle that just broke the record for the shortest charging time to cross America, besting the Tesla record previously. And then the third thing, which was one of the most exciting ones, was showing the future hint of where we're going with the Kia Concept EV9 three row SUV all electric. Really a stunning vehicle. But uh, let's let's start with the Sportage. It's a vehicle kind of close to my heart because uh, uh, back in the day I did some public relations for Kia and that was one of the two vehicles that was around in those days. The, the Sportage and the Sophia were the two vehicles that were being marketed here. Uh, it's really come of age now. Tell us a bit about the, the new one that's coming out. Sure. Uh, well, as you know, it's now, this is the fifth generation of Sportage. We've sold over two million of them since it was introduced. Um, this vehicle has gotten larger, wider, more uh, legroom in the rear. It's now at the top of its class versus before. We had a couple customers say, love your vehicle, would love it to be just a little bigger. We've accommodated them. Yeah, it makes sense because the, that is a, the most popular class in the market. A lot of people want larger. When you buy an, an SUV or crossover, you certainly want utility. So making it a little uh, larger adds to utility, doesn't it? It does, and on top of that, so besides the hybrid version that we revealed today, we already talked about uh, the X-Pro, which is our next um, capable SUV of Sportage that really does for the people that want to go off-road. So now we've given them many choices within the Sportage lineup, just like it's, our Sorento. It's kind of interesting, too, uh, with um, SUVs. We had a period where SUVs were off-road. That was kind of the, like the, the mindset. We're going to go off-road. And then we had a period where it seemed like everybody grasped that they weren't going off-road, so we're not going to have any kind of off-road capability. We're not going to have... And now we are seeing off-road versions of more and more vehicles. Talk to that a little bit, especially from the marketing side, from your market, marketing standpoint. Again, at the end of the day, people are still looking for the dream of what they're going to do with their vehicles, right, in their life. And they want to know that they could go off-road. 
So, yes, they might buy it for the city driving, and hybrids are great for that, our, our turbo hybrid. Great performance, great uh, fuel economy at the end of the day. But they still want to know that they could, right? They want to go camping. They want to go out there. Um, and that's why we still are introducing a lot of the X-Line and X-Pro versions that look like the vehicle can do it or have the full capability to do it. Right. I mean, we talk about aspirational vehicles, and that's what a lot of people are buying, right? They rank vehicles for their aspiration, what they would like to do, how they think of themselves, as opposed to necessarily what they do all the time, right? And, and that's a, a key part of marketing, isn't it? You know what? It's one of the things that's resonating with what we've been doing for the last two years. We started it with Telluride. And, and that's a success. And then we put Celtos out there, which is a great vehicle when you start starting our lineup of SUVs. Um, maybe not the um, most capable from a ride height, but people love that vehicle, and we're getting stories from them on social media of where they're going that we'd never thought people would do in that vehicle. And then Sorrento, just um, we did that at the beginning of the year. So they see our lineup as a solution to their lifestyle. Right. And they, it, it expresses them. And, and they like that as well. Talk a little bit about how important hybrid is. We're, we're seeing a, a move to electrification, right? I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. And you're talking about a couple of electric vehicles that you've introduced here on the stand. Uh, but you also have that hybrid thing going. That has a, a lot of advantages to a lot of people. Talk a bit about that, if you would. So we're obviously seeing a shift towards um, electrification by the consumers. Um, but the shift is taking time in different pockets. So we want to make sure that we offer people, if you want to go full electric, we've got those offerings. If you want to go part way and still have the comfort and safety that some people think um, gasoline engines have, a hybrid is it. We also have plug-in hybrids that allow people to kind of get the experience of plugging in but still have that safety. So that's why we're electrifying our lineup across the Sorento already. You've, we just came out with the PHEV. Um, we already just talked about the HEV, and maybe if we follow Sorrento, might be something. That they, so we're giving people choices. Mm -hmm. And it, it kind of makes sense to do that. Let's talk a bit about the EVs you've introduced recently and the EV you talked about here. But EV6 is uh, the first one in, in the lineup, correct? That, although you've had some, new, some EVs before, yes. but this is essentially kind of a, a new gen of, of EV. Talk a bit about that, would you? Sure. So, so we've had the Nero um, EV for more than 10 years. But... The EV6 is on a dedicated eGMP platform specific for um, electric vehicles. And this will come out uh, in Q1 of 2022. We did a pre-sale of the 1500 first edition ones and consumers snapped them up in less than a day. So we know there's demand for Kia EVs and they're willing to, uh, to try us out and show that the design looks great. It has the range up to 300 uh, range and it also has the ultra-fast charging. So that's the, the anxiety that people are now starting to get over with the ultra-fast charging. Give us the elevator pitch on that particular vehicle. You know, what the, the high hard ones about that, that vehicle, so people will understand it a little better. Sure. So the EV6 is a crossover SUV. Um, it has the ability to have a range of up to 300 uh, miles. It has front-wheel drive or all-wheel drive options. Um, it has an ultra-fast charging capability that it can charge from 10% to 80% in less than 18 minutes. If you need a quick charge in five minutes, it can get you 70 miles. So again, the average person is driving less than 50 miles round trip a day. It takes care of you. And then on top of that, we've had a lot of consumer research and clinics that said, the car looks amazing. The front looks sporty. The rear looks like an SUV, hence a, a CUV. Um, we're really excited about it. And it's right it. in the middle of the market. It's one of the most popular segments, if not the most popular segment in the market. Exactly. So this is the first one. And then the concept uh, 
EV9 that we just showed, that's the next one on top of it. So you can start to see our naming strategy, EV6, concept EV9 potentially. Um, so it's making the customer see how much EV I can get from a Kia. That's ultimately our, our strategy. I mean, it's it's fascinating you're able to use EV, and nobody else has, has done it. So a, a marketing coup for, for Kia, absolutely. Tell us a bit more about uh, EV9. It's got some... Um, very dramatic styling, right? Uh, so talk a bit about that. It, it's kind of reach out. Sure. So it, so it is a concept vehicle. Um, so the concept EV9 um, is one of the, the few ones that's just started with our whole Opposites United design philosophy. So when you look at it, it's got some sharp angular uh, on the front fenders, and then when you go down the side, it's smooth. So two of them that are opposite combined together. It, it's really striking. It's impressive. Um, it's Telluride size S, X, um, so it's a three-row vehicle, mid-size SUV, right? Yes. Uh, and then all electric, which, again, because it's on the EGMP platform, allows for more legroom, more space inside, not having to worry about uh, using it on a other platform that's built for gas engines. This is dedicated. Yeah. Well, tell us a bit about the advantage of having, uh, you know, a skateboard like that. I, I know you're not an engineer, that's but you, you've certainly been in this, this business a lot. To have a, a basic platform that you can kind of mold in a bunch of different uh, products probably is a pretty good thing. Yeah, it's, first of all, it's flexible. So it can be on the, the EV6, which is a smaller platform. It can be on the larger concept EV9. We can scale it up, down. We can increase or decrease batteries, number of ranges. Um, we can add an extra motor to make it all-wheel drive or front-wheel drive. So it allows a lot of flexibility to customize for our consumers and what they're going to be demanding. As you are marketing EVs, it seems in some ways EV is kind of a generic thing, right? Like, how do you take your EV and, and separate it from everybody else? So the first thing is we know from research that our EV6, 70% of our buyers will be first-time EV buyers. So we still have to educate people on why they should buy an EV and have to get them over some of their um, obstacles. So we have to tell them about the range, we have to tell them about the performance, we have to tell them about the charging. Our vehicle does it faster, has it the, the range they're looking for, and then on top of that looks amazing and it has all of the technologies inside that they're looking for for any vehicle. So now it's not just an EV discussion, it's a I, that vehicle looks amazing, it drives well, performs well, all-wheel drive in the northeast or northwest, there's no sacrifices anymore. Can you differentiate on that kind of performance, on range, on uh, charge times, or is that kind of a, a given to the EV buyer? So, so for us, the ultra-fast charging capability or slower charging, it, it can adapt. That's one of our differentiating points. Um, we definitely are trying to make it so that consumers can continue with their lives as opposed to worrying about, do I have to charge this thing for an hour, five hours? So the ultra-fast gives them that option, and that's definitely one of the things. What are the things about EVs that, that are most exciting to you as, as a marketer of, of cars? You know, you've been through this business for a while. We, I certainly have. Um, it hasn't changed in terms of power plant for a long time, and then suddenly we've got this revolution. Tell me, well, a, bit of, tell me a bit about those. I mean, there's a couple of things that I'm really excited about. Um, in the beginning, EVs were, the design was sort of an afterthought. It was all about the battery and the range, and now the cars look amazing. Um, so designers are focusing on it. Um, the engineers are trying to fi figure out how to make things longer range. They're trying to make it so that battery technology gets more efficient, that can bring the price down. 
um, you know, regardless of the, the volume that we do. So they're keeping the consumer in mind, and that's what I love about what we're, we're doing right now. Is there a fear that they will look too amazing? Uh, that they will be too reach out and, you know, kind of scare off or just not be conventional enough for the, the buyer out there? You know, I, I think um, right now we're in that explosion of we're trying to see how far consumers want EVs to go from a design perspective or how conservative they want them to be. So I think we'll find that out pretty quickly. But I think our two designs of the EV6 and the Concept EV9 that we've done testing on, the consumers love them. What does this mean for conventional ICE, internal combustion engine powered vehicles going forward at Kia? I think slowly consumers are going to realize an electrified powertrain is something that I should have, whether it's full EV or hybrid or plug-in hybrid. Um, so we definitely see the changing of consumer demands. Right now it's gone from 1.8% to 2.9% in total EVs, um, but it's going to continue to accelerate as people see the options, the range goes away, the infrastructure for charging capabilities increases across the country and gets more into the middle of the country as well. Yeah, it'll, it's a game changer, there's no doubt about that, and it's exciting times to see that. Does it, does it as a brand, does this give you um, more belief that you can you know, grow the brand pretty significantly, that you it couldn't have done if everything had stayed conventional? It, it says that we can do it um, quicker because we were growing the brand, we are growing the brand significantly. We're, we've already broken our 2020 sales in just 10 months already this year. Um, we'll probably have, if everything continues, knock wood, um, our best sales year ever in the, in the U.S. Um, but the other channel of hybrids, plug-in hybrids, and EVs give us another path for customers to consider us on. Well, terrific. Russell Wagger, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me today. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. This is America on the Road on the SportsMap Radio Network. Here's Jack Nerad. Welcome back to America on the Road. It is listener question time here at America on the Road. With Christine, this is Jack Nerad back with you. And uh, we're so glad you're with us, and we're so glad you contribute listener questions. We'd love to hear your listener question. And we'll try and answer it on an upcoming show. Well, we always get questions about winter driving on America on the Road, and we have several from our listeners uh, that we'd like to answer. We have a perfect expert on this. Uh, Tricia Morrow is a Chevrolet safety engineer, uh, an expert in winter driving, among other things, uh, safety-related. And uh, Tricia, here is our, our first question for you. What is the number one thing you should be concerned about in winter driving situations? You know, when we're talking about driving in winter, it's not something that we're used to. We don't drive in these inclement weather conditions all the time. I would say the number one thing you need to do is really make sure that we follow basic road safety. Drive slow. Wear your seatbelt. Increase your following distance. And remember to keep our cars fueled, charged, and clean. Keeping your vehicle clean is really going to help keep those sensors on the vehicle clean that can help with active safety and really help maintain visibility during these inclement weather conditions. Yeah, I think just keeping your windshield clean, uh, your, your windows clear, and uh, certainly your headlights clean uh, can go a long way in helping you in the winter, can't it? 
Absolutely. You know, sometimes the rain or the snow really can reduce visibility and anything you can do to help you see and perform better as a driver is really going to help you in these conditions. Well, Tricia Morrow, thanks so much for giving us that information. Uh, Thank you. We have a listener question right now from Emmanuel in Petoskey, Michigan. I just moved from Alabama to Michigan. Good timing. (laughs) Do that in February. And I'm not used to driving in the snow and ice. Can you give me your best winter driving tip? Uh, How appropriate. Uh, Yes. Tires, tires, tires. Focus on snow tires or winter tires as early and as quickly as possible. Uh, Once you have that, the best thing that you could possibly do is to drive uh, as slowly or not as slowly, as smoothly uh, and as predictively as possible. And what I mean by that is spend time trying to think about the person in front of you and give yourself plenty of time to react about to, with, to what they're going to do. Uh, the same thing goes with curves and stop signs and stoplights and everything else. Uh, all the four-wheel drive in the world isn't going to help you slow down at a red light if there's ice on the road. So you need to give yourself plenty of time uh, to react. I think that's probably the best the best tip ever. But, uh, Jack, I'll say, and I'll get your opinion too because you grew up in Chicago, uh, winter tires are probably the best and first thing you should do uh, to prepare for winter. And uh, I, that brings us to the end of the show, I guess. So, again, uh, it's always great to talk with Chris Teague about cars. Uh, we love to do it cross-country, and I think we'll do it again right here next week. Uh, what do you think about that, Chris? Yeah, I love being here and love having everyone listening. And I will say, if you like what you heard and want to hear more, head to sportsmapradio.com and check out the Saturday radio schedule where you can see the America on the Road podcast, both in radio format and our original podcast. Right. Uh, thanks to all the Sports Map radio stations for carrying America on the Road. We do appreciate that. And all the people at Sports Map Radio for the help they give us. And uh, to all of you who listen to America on the Road, however you do it, please join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road.